Hello all and welcome to your weekly Tech News Hour. I'm your host, Rich Straffolino. Thanks for joining me on this wonderful, lovely, indeed, I'm going to say saccharine day. It's almost too much wonderfulness today. But this is the show here on WRUW. Once a week, we give you roughly 60 minutes or so. I'm going to say less than 60 minutes. If we did 60 minutes every week, inevitably we'd run over. That'd be impolite. And so we don't want to do that. So under 60 minutes, you get the technology news that matters in your life. Uh, delivered to you uh, through your ear holes. I think it's a great service. I'm happy to deliver it. Today, I'm thrilled to be joined by my guest. You may hear him on WRUW once or twice a week here. Uh, I usually hear him on the Crew and Broccoli Radio Hour. You may have heard him there as well. Brant, thanks for being here, man. Thanks. I, I'm sure people have heard me just entirely too much this week already. <laughs> Even if this is the first time they're hearing you, that right. may also right. that be, may true. be true. I just yeah. wanted to make you feel bad. I don't know why I had to take a dig at you there. No, it's fine. But uh, I'm not going to lie. I'm kind of glad I did. So. <laughs> I'm here to be your target. <laughs> <laughs> you know who's not here to be your target? It's Walmart. And that's going to be the first story that we're going to be talking about here. There was an interesting story on Recode kind of talking about Walmart's e-commerce initiatives. Now, hey, don't go to sleep. This is actually super interesting. Um they since 2016, I think the narrative around what Walmart is trying to do in e-commerce, I think has shifted more into the positive realm, right? I, I think up until that point, they were seen as, I don't want to say laughable, but laughable for sure. <laughs> uh, you know, it kind of seen as the old guard. They had online options that were there just to have something, but not really competitive with any of the major services out there. 2016, they bought Jet.com, which was kind of seen for a, for a little while, for a hot minute, as maybe trying to be the next Amazon, offering some interesting incentives to get, you know, that, that were different than what uh, Amazon could offer, different kind of price structures and that kind of stuff. Um, ultimately, it was good enough to get them bought for bags and bags of cash. So, <laughs> you know, who, who's to say if that uh, if that's not successful? Uh, but their CEO and founder, Mark Lohr, kind of came over and was going to head Walmart's e-commerce divisions. But now Recode is reporting uh, that in the last year, they lost a billion dollars on that business. Billion with a B. Right. Uh, on there. It's not all doom and gloom. They're estimating for this year that their e-commerce revenues are going to be about $22 billion. So they are bringing in the money with the e-commerce. They're just losing more than they are. It's just not profitable for them yet. I mean, here's the thing. So one of the, you kind of sent me something to get us prepared yes, for today. Yes. And one of the things that you'd put on there, and I'm sure we'll talk about this later, was <laughs> let's talk about everything Amazon owns. And the thing with Walmart uh, doing the e-commerce thing and buying, of uh, obviously, what if you're going to buy a service like Jet, what's going to happen is you're saying, I don't have the capability to build this from scratch. I'd mm -hmm. rather just go purchase something that's out there that I don't have to do this. It's a classic buy or build decision. Mm -hmm. IT is familiar with it all the time. And the issue is that Walmart was a behemoth in the uh, box store chain, you know, physical presence of things. Whereas Amazon was a thing that was effectively abstract. Mm -hmm. I order it online, and then it magically appears at my house. But there's no place to go. There's nowhere to get it. I was thinking about this. When I was a kid, we used to a place called Hills down the street from us. And there were Star Wars toys that you <laughs> knew you could buy. Like, my cousins had this Death Star playset. But Hills never had the Death Star playset to buy because, you know, distribution channels, whatever. The internet effectively changed that. Because now if I want something, I just go on the internet and find it and buy it, which has effectively killed mom and pop stores, et cetera, et cetera. So, well, and that, that gets into a lot mm -hmm. of some of the issues that Walmart is having with their e-commerce stuff. Because, you know, to your point, they're the king of making all the money 
mm-hmm. when it comes to big box retail because uh, I think their e-commerce represented about 5% of their overall company revenue last year. And so that means 95% of that, 95, if 5% is $22 billion, 95% is like $500 billion. Right. You know, so so they, I, can ex- they can absorb the loss. It's not. But the, the kind of what the story was getting at is that their board is basically like, yeah, we're Walmart. We don't do things that lose money. We do things that add to our bottom line. And that gets to a fundamental disconnect between what Amazon does, right? Because Amazon's entire thing is we are going to cut the margin to the thinnest possible you know, sheet of tissue paper that we can to have a veneer of some sort of that we're not having it totally be a loss leader, right? And then we're and then we're going to reinvest everything that we make back into the business. We but don't mind losing billions of dollars a year. Amazon was not profitable for years and years. And right. Years. But the other thing too is they learned that lesson from Walmart. Yeah. Because Walmart would basically shake down their vendors. <laughs> no, seriously. Well, like okay, one of the yes, things they yes. would say was, okay, if I'm dealing with like a company like Vlasic, who's known for ma- for making pickles, mediocre pickles. Sure. They're not. You're not going to Walmart. So great story here. My wife. <laughs> My wife uh, takes care of a woman two days a week, mm-hmm. and she gets her she gets her groceries from an online request service from Walmart. And mm-hmm. one week, she wanted Kukin really badly, and my wife couldn't find Kukin there, so uh, she bought her some Danishes, and she loved the Danishes. Well, somehow this made us go down a rabbit hole to look <laughs> at the service for mm-hmm. Walmart, and someone had yelped, basically yelped the. Uh, Danish saying this Danish is terrible. I keep buying and it's not good. And we were like, well, why do you keep buying it if it's not good? <laughs> and the fact of the matter is, is you're not going to Walmart because you're looking for the best. You're looking. It was always a price point thing. That's why mm-hmm. it killed Main Street America. Because if you built a Walmart in your small town, mom and pop couldn't couldn't keep up with that because basically the purchasing power of the entirety of the Walmart universe, they were cutting deals with the likes of Vlasic that were I'm. I'm providing your service in every one of my stores across the country. So Amazon just learned that from there. And now their their supply chain, they've got that thing down to, like you said, razor cut margins, but they're still making a mint. Well, and that's because they have they have services that they they pushed a ton of investment in and took a loss on for a long time. Things like Amazon Web Services, which now all of a sudden is the the biggest profit center for that company, even though it represents a relatively small amount of their earnings. Getting though into the kind of the supply chain, this article pointed out. Uh, Amazon has like I want to say about 110 fulfillment centers in the U.S. Walmart has 20. Right. To put that in comparison, and they're they're trying to become competitive with one day shipping. You know, Amazon just announced that they're going to be trying to do one day Prime shipping. Walmart is trying to match that with one day if you spend over 35 dollars. I think it is. But the issue that they have is one to supplement the lack of fulfillment centers. They're kind of using all of their retail locations to you know to to be basically a little mini depots that they can use. The problem with that is, and it, this kind of gets to your example where they just can't compete, is, yeah, for, for paper towels, for laundry detergent, they're going to have all that in stock, no problem. It's when you need, like, that weird, obscure one thing that Amazon can sell for a big, for a relatively big markup and make a decent margin, a decent amount of profit on. Walmart just doesn't have the stocking capacity, right. easy for me to say. To put that across, and so they're just the modern day hills at yeah. that point. I'm or, no seriously, or a best, a best, remember a best. <laughs> That's my favorite one. I just, I, I was like, I can get a terrible hot dog at a best. Right. It's just they, they don't. The problem is, is that, and and I saw some of the other things we were talking about with like the consolidation. You had talked about consolidation of mm-hmm. cell, cell, yeah, services. Um, we're gonna probably talk about that yeah, in a okay. little bit. 
Uh, basic. Yeah, I love to spoil things. <laughs> um, that's my show every week. Spoil the tech news you can yeah. read. Uh, yes. Yeah. So the, the the thing is, though, is that there are already companies that have that reputation for good mm-hmm. or for ill. And that's the thing with Amazon was I can get whatever I want on the Internet if, if I have access to the Internet. And that's yeah. another question. The reason why Walmart is still making money at the box store level is because a lot of those people aren't the sort of people that go, I'm going to go online and get this. You know what I'm saying? They don't yeah. think in those terms. And and you would like to act like there are people in this world that, oh, they don't use the Internet. There's a lot of people that don't use the Internet to do these things. So, you know. Yeah, and, and there's still going to always be that, you know, I hate to call it. It's kind of an IT, the, the, you know, the legacy use case. I, again, I don't want to. Legacy is pejorative. I don't want to necessarily put that on people. It's that don't necessarily have pejorative. Trust me on this. However... Like legacy is also like the mainstay of a ton of IT businesses because tons of people use it. It's hard to move off of. And people that don't have internet, they're probably at this point, it's not that they don't want to have internet. There's access issues, all that kind of stuff. Right. Because the FCC is amazing. Uh, And the carriers (laughs) are awesome too. Um, Of course they are. The other uh, issue though that this gets to is, so uh, Mark Lohr, who again came over with the Jet.com acquisition, was trying to run this as a startup. In fact, if you like, because I was Googling how to say his name because I wasn't sure if it's Laura or Lori. So the first video you come up with is like, I'm going to run Walmart like a startup is like literally the first thing, which means you basically what he was saying is we need to invest, take big losses for a while, mm-hmm. build up a thing. They bought a couple of independent brands that were kind of outside of the traditional Walmart milieu, middle America mm-hmm. milieu. They bought Bonobos, which is like a very yep. hip. They brought they advertise on which, podcasts. Which then everybody who was using yes. bonobos was said, like, I'm done gross. with bonobos. <laughs> uh, and they bought Mod Cloth and they bought another clothing brand. I think it's Elise or something like that. Uh, I may be thinking of Game of Thrones. Anyway, the <laughs> they, they but they spent a decent amount of investment to kind of get those reportedly those are all unprofitable. Not to be surprising, it's only they only had them for two years. Right. But now the pressure is to divest of some of those resources. Amazon's also backing away from doing their own streaming service, again, because they don't want to invest in original content. Also, I'm super glad we're not going to have another streaming service uh. with, like, one show that I want to watch. Thank you, Walmart, for backing off of that. But that's the reason I sent you that what does Amazon own? BuzzFeed News put up this great article kind of detailing all of the brands and businesses that Amazon owns. And it was – I mean, I thought I had a rough idea of no, what it's, Amazon it's owns. It's frightening. The, the marquee – what I think it gets exaggerated is like a lot of the Amazon branded services. I don't consider those as independent companies to them. So like Amazon Fresh, I, that's part of Amazon to me. Right. But something like IMDb, you might not realize, owned by Amazon. Twitch TV, which is like what all the Utes like to watch. Okay. <laughs> uh, owned by Amazon. Uh, Whole Foods, you may have heard. Yeah. Yeah. Owned. You know that that one's not too surprising. But when you look at just the sheer scale, and it's not just the big name stuff. It's not like Whole Foods. You might you might never right. shop there, but you know what it is. It's owning uh, what is it? A books, which is I used to use for like school books and like out of print school books and stuff like that. Yeah. It, you know, it's rare books. It's cloth wholesalers that they own. They own. It's not just it's not just their own supply chain. They have this insidious web. Oh yeah, it's of, crazy of of things that you don't even realize you're buying well, from Amazon. And again, Walmart kind of you know, they've been building this up over twenty years. How does a company like Walmart or anybody? Nobody. They can't. So here's the thing. So we were talking about AWS. AWS was their IT support unit. Yeah. Okay. And I work in IT support. You work in in that realm Mm -hmm. as well. So my my day job is being a programming manager. So I'm part of that IT support framework. Every IT support unit I've ever seen in any company is always a cost center. Always costs the company money. We Mm -hmm. are constantly justifying our existence. Because of that, 
AWS turns like a billion dollar profit a year. And that was their help desk effectively. <laughs> Seriously, that's mm-hmm. what it was. And so the fact that they could turn that around, and then you think of something like, well, Netflix is a company, but their entire superstructure is based off of AWS. So Amazon's actually getting a cut of that too, yeah, which is I, crazy. What's even crazier is that it's not just that Amazon, it's not like Netflix was a small startup that mm-hmm. bought into AWS and it's kind of stuck there. They chose to move to right. AWS a couple of years ago from their own built-in infrastructure. They were going, this is a huge headache. Why are we dealing with this when we can just pay a penny per processor or whatever to, right. you know, and forever much, well, how I, many gigs or terabytes or petabytes of storage, and we'll have this big peering agreement with a CDN and it'll all be great. So where I work, we do a lot of, I do a lot of Microsoft stuff. Mm-hmm. And I went to a conference um, and a guy gave a presentation where he showed a, a facility in Virginia where they had bought just a giant like acreage of stuff. And there was one little building on it. And it was part of Azure, Microsoft Azure services. Mm-hmm. And he's like, oh, they're going to build buildings in that whole, that whole campus. And all it's going to be is Azure. And I'm and I'm like, okay, well, who's paying for that? <laughs> not Microsoft. And yeah. it's the same thing with AWS and Google. I'm not going to go into how the sausage is made around here, but I know who's hosting our mm-hmm. uh, online uh, music library. We've put that in the cloud effectively, so it would be backed up, so we didn't have to do it manually ourselves here at WREW. Sure. Thank you, Telethon listeners, for your support. <laughs> um, but basically... It's not one of those three major players. Mm-hmm. It's someone who would desperately, desperately love to be that, signed a deal with Case, and we just you know piggyback off of it. But it's just amazing how does, cloud services. Does the owner of that company's name rhyme with Barry Mellison? Uh, no. Oh, okay. No, it's okay. it's another one <laughs> it's of. I, so I've seen. I, we don't need to get. <laughs> I've seen what you do offline or yes. uh, for your real oh, job, yes, and yes. and you know you guys do your weekly yes. tech roundup through there. It's it's one of your other favorite targets. Oh, okay, okay. I, it's th- it's a three letter name. I, I am now aware. <laughs> I am now aware. It's someone, ABC. Yeah, someone wishes that they were relevant, but haven't mm-hmm. been in about twenty five years. That's but we want to hug them. Anyway. Right. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. So it, it's it's very interesting. And my prediction actually is that if Walmart wants to scale back further from, not to say they want to get out of e commerce, right? They're going to have if you go to Walmart.com, you're going to be able to buy stuff online, mm-hmm. ship it to the store. They can do that all day. It's this. It's this larger web of services and companies that I think they just have an unwillingness to, to lose that money for any length of time to build that out. What I think they will, might do is follow what Target and what some of the like more reta- like pure play retail uh, uh, businesses are doing is partnering either with Instacart, uh, built, buying their own like shipped with Target is done, which is basically like a, a subscription shipping company where you're going to say, okay, someone's going to come in the store, pick this stuff up, and then it leaves. We don't have to deal with any of that as opposed to building our own right? or and, maintaining that. And the problem is probably for Walmart, too, is that in some ways they're a dinosaur. Mm-hmm. So, like, I work in the most dinosaur injury, industry of them all. I'm in a manufacturer. I work for manufacturing. I work in IT in manufacturing. but I'm giving you an air hug, right? Now. Right, yeah. So, basically, um, the thing is, is that when they get a certain idea in their head, they just stick with it. Um you know, whereas like the Amazons of the world, they had to think outside the box. So they wouldn't they wouldn't exist. Yeah. Um, unfortunately, now that is the box. And yeah. so anyone who's outside <laughs> of it is not able, you know, like you said, they have to they have to lose before they're going to gain. Mm-hmm. Again, it's part of the it's part of. The game, um, I'm actually shocked that like the shipping companies, the UPSs and the FedExes of the world have not gotten more into bed 
with Target and Walmart and some of those companies because Amazon's like, oh, we're going to cut you out of that too. Oh, yeah. They, they definitely I mean, are their own logistics company now. They now have, uh, what I want to say, uh, 20 uh, airports that they partner with. They just opened one up in Anchorage. Uh, so they can uh, go into the, which I didn't realize, like Anchorage is this huge stop point for anything going into Asia. Like 95% oh, of right. anything yeah. that goes into Asia goes through Anchorage. It's huge. Did not Like when I saw that headline, I was like, oh, who cares? It's Alaska. Turns out super important. Right. Um, and so they're they're building out that Amazon Air or Prime Air or whatever they're calling it, uh, service and stuff like that. Well, so, I literally work down the street from the distribution center they're building in North Randall. Mm-hmm. So I see it all the time. What you're, I mean, say, what you're saying is it's hopeless. I, I, <laughs> I want so here's the thing you what did Amazon do when when they started to grow they mm. went back to the box retail thing they weren't going to close Whole Foods they wanted that no, as yeah. part of their because they knew they couldn't do grocery services plus they also knew their clientele if you're going to Whole Foods you're paying a premium on your groceries because that's what I, it's organic and it's all this other stuff that buzzword 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 it's asparagus in a jar it's right with water. and and so you know i it's funny i have a, a i'm part of one of these uh northeast ohio foodie groups and, mm-hmm. I, and one day i got really frustrated with everybody on it and i said oh these groups should be called white people food problems <laughs> <laughs> because like, that's but that's the whole foods you know target audience amazon does not want to be walmart they can coexist in a world where people go to walmart to do these things Mm -hmm. because simply put it it doesn't interest them they're making enough i mean seriously what was their origin point books so books nerds well no (laughs) in a country with an illiterate president Mm -hmm. you know literacy Conveys a semi-literate. Certain... Okay, gotcha. Semi. I know he can read the Happy Meal menu mm-hmm. at McDonald's. Yes, thank you. Um, so, but that conveys a certain that Amazon has always been shooting for a specific type of customer mm-hmm. because they know that person has more disposable income, et cetera, et cetera. Whereas Walmart's deal was the joke that we always had was, well, when you open a Walmart in a town, you've now created your own customer because the only people. The, the people don't make enough money to afford to shop anywhere but Walmart, you know, and that's it's a different attitude set, you know. And, well, and I will I will leave, I guess, this topic on this because we've been on for a little while. But mm-hmm. the it there Walmart's approach to this reminds me a lot of how the music industry replied to to digital music sales and that kind of stuff. Whereas they were like, we're still profitable. We're still making money. There's no reason to upset the Apple cart until it becomes an existential threat, in which case. Or, or it's, it's actively an existential threat. It already is a threat to maybe not Walmart, but a lot of uh, most other retail, which is already feeling it. And until once they realize that and they realize, oh, we should have been investing all this time and taking those losses now, it'll be too late. Yeah. And uh, Jeff Bezos uh, will just roll around in a Scrooge McDuck uh, vault of money uh, <laughs> while he's flying to Mars on one of the space. He just bought Larry Ellison's yeah, he island. He just bought Larry Ellison's <laughs> island. And he built another <laughs> island next to it that will shoot a volcano onto that other island right. just to make him feel worse. Part of the deal was he he's actually going to put Larry on the volcano. Yes. He... And then King Kong's going to come out. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that'd be so wonderful. Yes, it would. Uh, so next up, uh, speaking of foodies, uh, I saw an interesting story about Uber, everyone's favorite uh, non-problematic <laughs> ride-sharing uh, service. But they have uh, their big growth center actually right now, maybe not since going public, it's kind of been revealed that Uber Eats is kind of where they're their dynamite growth is going. And they just recently uh, are starting a trial for a new service with Uber Eats where instead of, if, if you're not familiar with Uber Eats, I guess, uh, restaurants partner with Uber. You go in the Uber Eats app, you order something, an Uber driver delivers it before they go get someone to the airport, and then your airport ride smells like food, which is great. 
so they have a new service out now, though, where instead of bringing food to you, it's smoothing out kind of the or it's it's removing some of the obstacles to the restaurant experience, perhaps. Um, Brandon, I'm interested in your perspective of this. One, as a foodie. Two, as a parent, because I think this is where the service is huge. Basically, what you do is you place your order and you have your reservation at the restaurant, and then they tell you what time to be there. And when you get there, the food is on the ah. table, ready to go. And then you don't have to deal with all the tipping, all the payment is already done through the app. Theoretically, you've already paid for it. You're not surprised by any additional cost or something like that. Obviously, for a Fine dining establishment seems a little gauche, but <laughs> hey, listen, Applebee's is on. Yeah, it's on Uber Eats. Macaroni Girl is on Uber Eats. Yeah. If I I have two small kids, I still like going out to eat from time to time. But I realize like when they forget my order and it goes from a 15 minute wait to a 30 minute wait for my food, yeah. that is a disaster. I'm wondering how do you feel? This seems kind of not evil for an Uber thing. But also kind of bad for people that enjoy restaurant experience. So, so you, I don't really talk about this much, but both of my kids are on the autism spectrum, mm-hmm. and, and the younger one especially is, you know, um, and there's a restaurant that we like to establishment that is a, a local eatery where one of the waitresses takes care of us very much. She always knew that you, we were autistic, and sometimes if your autistic child is losing it in a restaurant, people shoot you dirty looks because. People are essentially terrible, and that's, you know, sorry, everyone listening out there, but most of you are terrible. Mm -hmm. (laughs) At some points in your Uh, life. Yeah, I mean, like, the other night we were at a place, and we could hear a very, very tiny baby screaming. And Mm -hmm. I, you know, I've learned to, like, kind of live with that, because once you've had children, your whole perspective changes on it. But I do get that. Usually people don't think ahead when they go for that dining experience. So if your kids are super hungry to the hangry level you're going to get some meltdowns, things of that nature. Now, you're saying it seems like a not evil thing, but with Uber, there's always some <laughs> sort of evil that's underneath all of it. Um, you know, again, because they've built a reputation, you know, and I think sometimes uh, it's hard for, for them to, uh, for them to, they've, they have a reputation of, well, they're ubiquitous, but they also have this re- reputation of, we're evil, yeah. you know, so... We're horrible for everything I, ever. We put more I, cars on I, the road. We underpay our, our drivers who aren't our employees. Well, no, and that's just it. I read... There's a book about it. Mm-hmm. I forget who the author is, um, you know, but basically she writes about the gig economy mm-hmm. and how these companies are, are going out of their way to, to um, you know, classify workers as a certain type so that they can get away with, you know, and that basically the gig economy is taking us back to the 18th century 18th and 19th centuries of worker rights where, you know, everybody's going to be in a debtor's prison and, you know, it's going to be a Dickensian, you know, technically. But then we can meet some ghosts. Right. (laughs) They can learn songs and dance. You know, I mean, I guess the question is, you know, this is a service they're providing because they obviously see a profit opportunity. Nothing Uber does is going to be. Especially when they're losing money hand over fist. Yeah, and since going public, I mean, I, that really, I think, has lit a fire to be like, hey, we need to, at some point, like, show we can possibly make money. And the way they're paying for this is it's not, uh, they don't take any of the tips, any of any of that situation is all left to the restaurant. The restaurant pays a fee to, like, turn this feature on, right. basically, and, and get that on their platform if they're already an Uber Eats kind of subscriber. It Again, 
seems like minimally evil, although it also seems like it's literally Uber flipping a switch and going, now you pay us more money. Right. Well, here's the other thing, too, and I don't think people realize this. So if you think about Tesla, mm -hmm. Tesla is not about cars. Mm -hmm. Tesla is about batteries and, opt and optimization of batteries. Because I've told my son a million times, if you could learn how to get more energy into the same battery that goes into your phone, you would be the richest person in the universe. Same thing here with Uber. Their their end game is not people driving around with Uber stickers on the back of their car. They are trying to be ahead of the autonomous car market where you will not even have a driver. Mm -hmm. You know, they what they'll do is they'll put a fleet out there. They don't have to pay anybody. They make a they're trying to get the money now so they can buy that fleet later. Yeah. And so this service is just the same thing where the autonomous car will show up. And I put my McDonald's bag in it because that's the only Uber Eats uh, uh, application I know of right now is mm -hmm. there. Because I thought, they you know what? Yeah. You're so lazy. You couldn't even get in the car and go to, to the McDonald's. That's two minutes away from everyone's house. Right. <laughs> right. And, you know, and I'm a big fan of my 600 pound life. So that mm -hmm. always happens. Right. Those people are like Uber Eats. Yeah. I don't even have to get out of bed because <laughs> um, doctor now always tells them they have to go on a high protein diet and they still like pound down the quarter pounders anyway. So anyway, they take one of the buns off. Right. <laughs> counts. But but that's the thing. They're trying to get ahead of a technological advance they know is coming. And I was just talking to my stepdad about this. He he drives uh, cross-country trucks mm -hmm. uh, for a company out in Elyria that basically they make braking systems. And they, so he has to d take the, the truck to California so they can demo it. Um and he and I and he said, I said, you know, in the next 20 years is going to change. And he said, no, he goes, it's in the next 10 years. He goes, the problem is, is that the manufacturers of these vehicles don't have a common language by which they can all interact right now. Yeah. So if you don't have them all on the street doing the same instruction set, you're going to have, you know, these idiotic, you know, hits and all this other stuff. But eventually, at some point, they're going to realize the profit margin on it is well, OK. Well, and that's one of those things. The trucking example is very interesting because. You know, I've seen speculation that that would be the first step of automation, especially if it's if then you have a human driver to do the last mile. Right. It's like the truck on the highway. You could stay on the highway from here to California. Right. The entire time. That's a relatively that's a simpler set of instructions for that autonomous car, theoretically, than being on a than well, street and my, drive. And my stepdad, he he's 66. Mm. He has OSHA requirements. He can't drive exactly. more than 10, 10 hours a day. So if you're going to drive a rig from Ohio to California, that's like a four-day trip because he can only do 10 hours at any given yeah. time. So, you know, th that will get rid of the OSHA requirements. Oh, I can just leave the autonomous truck out there to do the entire drive because the computer's never going to get tired. Now, by that same token, then you can have a potential Boeing 737 yeah. MAX 8 issue where I posted this on my personal Facebook wall a couple weeks ago about the quality of the software that's being run. Mm. Okay. When I, I, quality is like the biggest thing. I'm a software developer. And if I screw something up, I usually cause more pain for myself. And in my case, it's not, it's not life or death, but it can be. And I'm telling you heads rolled at Boeing because they screwed up the software because the software was taking over the plane. Mm -hmm. So you have the same problem. Cause one of the things about software testing is how do I test for a scenario I didn't even think of? Yeah. You know? And, and when you're opening it up, especially when you get to, like, you know, slower street driving where there's just so many variables. Like, like a high, like I, that's what I was saying. A highway is a relatively closed system. And 
to be quite honest, if we had the like the national will or a global will, or if, if a country had the will to re-architect their their transportation infrastructure to say like, hey, guess what? We now have autonomous truck lane. Mm -hmm. Like like it's you know we have the Euclid corridor of of trucking. Uh, if I wanted to make it well, a horrible I, idea, but but the humans are always going to screw it up. Yes, driving down Carnegie to get here because I live on the west side. You live on the west side, so you know what I'm talking about. The best side. There are people who are taking their lives into their own hands, you know, over by the clinic and all these other places where I'm like, yeah, really, you're going to cross diagonal on Carnegie basically from E79 down to E71st? <laughs> are you insane? Like, are you nuts? How do you get the, the autonomous car, the autonomous vehicle to do that? But this is where we're heading. Mm -hmm. The autonomous vehicle is going to show up at the restaurant and there you go. So Uber, but what you're saying Uber Eats is doing now is they want us to do the opposite. Yeah. Where, well, they'll take you any which way. As long as Uber is getting a cut, like right. they'll, they'll take you any which way that they can get it and kind of smooth over. And so over now, that. again, they're shaking down. This is exactly what Amazon does, what mm -hmm. Walmart did to begin with. They're shaking down the vendor because yeah. they're basically saying, we don't think that you can get the traffic to your place that uh, without our help. Mm -hmm. That's and It's kind of arrogant. And I've actually seen some- Uber arrogant. Hmm. Yeah, I, so, so insane that that Weird. would even be a thing. But I've seen some local restaurant business owners, one of whom may be a fan of my radio show that may have appeared on the show many times as part of a telethon thing. Again, thank you, telethon listeners, <laughs> um, where they had to basically say, you know, when you use these services, you're undercutting us. So, you know, think about it before, you know, please come to the restaurant as opposed to engaging the service. Because if you engage the service, then I've got a third party now that wants, you know, like you said, Here's the hand. Please put things in it or this is not going to happen. And what Uber's saying is you can't get the foot traffic without me. Is that true? I it might be because I think a lot of people, you know, I think you having smaller children know exactly what I'm talking about where you think about, man, I really want to eat at that place, but it would be so much more convenient if I just had the food show up here yep. and do it in my house so that people don't complain about my children. Don't complain about, you know, my whatever. There are certain places that, that kowtow to that, but for the most part, you're like, man, I really want to eat that thing. And I have a one-year-old and a two-year-old, and I don't, I don't feel like being judged. It's, and, you know, you and I have known each other for a very, very long time. We are not the sort of people that sit there and, and consciously think, I care what other people think about me, but it's always there. Yeah. And so Uber's just... Especially when you're hibachi chef. Throws that shrimp at a one-year-old. You know? You get that look. You get that look just, every time. My dog could not could not get treats for the longest time. <laughs> and it would just bounce off of his face. So that, that's 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 the yeah. exact same. Yeah. So when your daughter's like taking a shrimp right yeah. off the forehead, <laughs> I gotta shrimp. go to Uber Eats now. <laughs> Thanks, Uber. Um, so, Brand, I don't know if you've been following. Uh, this is the continuing story. It's uh, it's kind of like that uh, pet hospital uh, in the Muppet Show. The continuing story uh, of uh, of what's going on with Huawei and the U.S. government. Have you been following? This uh, you know, what? I was looking you at about the... this. Did you hear about this? Yeah. You, about this? <laughs> you know, we're going to have to talk about the president if we're going to talk about we, this. Okay. So I will set it up. So if you haven't been following it, essentially, the l there's been all sorts of kerfuffles about Huawei. You can follow that for a long time. They're supposedly spying. They don't want them using their 5G infrastructure for when they roll out the next 5G network in the U.S. Not a problem anywhere else in the world. Whatever. Uh, recently, the U.S. Department of Commerce put Huawei on a so-called entity list, which means that U.S. companies, or they, they cannot buy from U.S. companies. The president 
then more recently in kind of re uh, restarted negotiations, trade negotiations with China, said, well, uh, turns out I got lobbied real hard by Intel and a bunch of companies that have bags and bags of cash, and they don't think that's fair, so I don't think it's fair. Uh, so we're going to reopen, we're going to allow, as long as there's not a, a, a obvious national security implication, we're going to allow for sales to resume. That was a uh, week and a half ago about. Now we're hearing from a special report from the U.S. Department of Commerce that they have received no instruction that they should start letting, that, that there's no blanket approval for these companies to be able, or for Huawei to be able to buy from these companies. And they still, so they still have to go through this special approval process and that there is a presumption of not allowing it. Basically, yeah. like there has to be an extremely specific reason for them to allow it going forward. And the more I think about this is you, it doesn't take much for me to think like you don't need to really make a, that hard of a case that a Chinese state owned company might have a reason or a motivation or whatever to not even put in um, like a backdoor or something that obvious, but to have some way of saying like, hey, if the Chinese state came calling, whoops, our encryption keys go missing. Mm -hmm. Oh, what happened? Again, I don't I don't even want to say how malicious this would be, but they are under the sway of the Chinese state government. However. The more this this particular angle with this entity list and using this as a cudgel to really try and bring China back to the trade negotiating table and flip-flopping back on it really makes me cynical now of all those other claims. It, was this just bluster? Was this just trade bluster for all of these years? And how related are how related is the is the 5G spying issue versus, you know, Huawei itself being a threat to national security to to other, you know, broader trade negotiations this this is a problem for me it's it's i've heard wolf too many times yeah i mean let's get one thing perfectly clear it wasn't intel that lobbied him he heard something on fox and friends <laughs> and then changed his mind because it didn't jibe with whatever they whatever those idiots were saying i mean well then intel, and, intel Ducey, and broadcom and qualcomm went you, to fox right and when, said could you please run this segment so right. the president will see it i mean you know if, when you let steve ducey d determine public policy we've got problems and the guy who's not steve ducey and the guy who's not steve ducey <laughs> and that woman who's also <laughs> irritating um the pr here's here's my thought process on it so uh the industry that i'm in we were really affected by the tariff stuff mm -hmm. uh not so much with china but definitely with canada um, and, and Mexico. And my take on this for the three years we've been having to deal with this is that this guy does not understand how a global economy works. A lot of things are more interconnected than you would ever think. And the, the one of the issues is that uh, Huawei is actually at the bleeding edge of this technology. So if you want to build a 5G network, you kind of have to play ball with them because they're catching up. You know, AT&T and Verizon are not the ones that are that are innovating here. It's other con countries. And that's a hard pill for, you know, uh, flag waving uh, patriots to accept that someone well, else may be ahead of us in something. Well, and I mean, really, I mean, if you if you want to you know, play the, the patriot card, you have no domestic choices when it comes to 5G infrastructure equipment. It's Nokia. It's Ericsson. It's Huawei. <laughs> yes. Those are your three choices. Right. And th that's part of the problem is, you know, a lot in Europe, especially, even though, you know, Nokia is a, a homegrown, you know, company, uh, uh, Finland. Right. Yeah. Um, the, the issue there is you're removing in, in a competitive marketplace when you only have three competitors, removing one of those gives those other two companies a ton of leverage. Yeah. And is naturally going to increase the price uh, of this rollout. Uh, so, yeah, it's, you know, again, the world has become smaller mm -hmm. pretty much thanks to the Internet. Cyberspace. Um, yeah. It's just it. 
I, I, I kind of come at it from where you come at, come at it from, where since you've heard the boy cry wolf so many times, it does come off as cynical. Mm-hmm. Is there possibility? Yes. Huawei is a state. Everything in China is nationalized, right? So, and didn't, didn't the owner of Huawei's daughter get like arrested in Canada? Yeah, was that who also, that was? Also, their CFO. Yeah, she's, yeah. And that that was another interesting angle in this. In kind of these renewed uh, trade negotiations, that was not on the table at all because uh, supposedly uh, Huawei was doing business with Iran, which she oversaw in violation of all sorts of international treaties. And so, yeah, she was arrested in Canada on the behest of the U.S. government, and I believe is still waiting on extradition yeah, to the U.S. It's it's just you know, I mean, our. When you bring all these things together, I mean, the other problem we have is that there is nobody running the Department of Commerce. There is nobody running, you know, I mean, the State Department's written is run like a um, an extension of the military mm-hmm. between Pompeo and, and Bolton. It, it, their their views on everything are completely radicalized and insane. And so really, you're going to get I mean, dude, I can intercept packets on anything that that's coming across. If I have a big enough idiot that's going to sit and do, we, they send us an email at work, or they they give us this lecture every quarter at our staff meeting about how to be safe on the internet, and basically the the gist of it is I need you to pay attention to detail, which nobody wants to do because that's just way too hard to think about. So, you know, I mean, yes, is it possible? Yes, can we do these things? Sure. But there's always danger. I can get out of bed in the morning and get hit by a bus. It's the same effective thing here, you know. But the problem is, as we stagnate, because our education system is trash, we don't teach anybody how to do anything. Okay, great. Now, you know, I've got China. I've got India. I've got these these countries that we considered third world for so long. Sorry, they're at the bleeding edge now, man. They've got, you know, they've got on top of it. Yeah, and if you look at, you know, who is outside of the US, if you look at who the big uh, you know, uh, electronic manufacturers are, obviously Samsung is probably the biggest out there. Apple is in the the high-end premium stuff, but in terms of volume is I think number 4 or 5 usually worldwide. But then it's it's Huawei, it's companies like ZTE which has no presence in the US. It's it's company, you know, and yeah. then and you're starting to get in the Indian market is very much centered on its own stuff. So, I think for in the US when we hear the name Huawei, it just sounds like, oh, this is weird Chinese company. They're j- they are as big as any of your, the biggest electronics makers that you or, or, or tech companies that you have heard of in the U.S. There are 300 million people in the United States of America. Mm-hmm. There are over a billion people in China. There are over a billion people in India. In a planet of six billion people, there are two countries that make up two, a third of the entire population of the world. And yet we still sit here in this country and act like they don't exist. You know, sorry, we're not the only revenue stream, you know, and we're not and we're not, you know, I know one of the one of the things that they argue why we should have this trade war with China is that a lot of IP has been stolen as part of, you know, Chinese business practices. But guess what? I hate to break this to everybody. China is not uh, is not a party to U.S. patent law. They Mm. just aren't. So if they get something and they. You know, they reverse engineer it. It's like us going to the Russians in 1945 and saying, you know what? We patented those nuclear weapons. You can't build those. <laughs> well, yeah. well, there's, I mean, there was also maybe less less serious than that. But I, at the dawn of, you know, x86 uh, IBM compatible PCs, there were all sorts of 
uh, processor clones. I mean, if you look at just the the watch industry in and of its, you know, there was also like there's there's tons of analog industries like that. Uh, yeah, in that example, that's a great example. I never thought about. That. Yeah, well, no, I mean, and and you bring up the clone issue. That was idiocy on IBM's part because well, yes. because <laughs> they signed a licensing deal with Microsoft where they said where Bill Gates went to them and said, is it okay if I license this software to other companies? You, you and their thought process was, <laughs> nobody cares about the software. Man, try to have that attitude today. It's always about the software. You know? One I, thing that wasn't about the software, though, was the keyboards that were coming on <laughs> Apple uh, MacBook products. Your segue game is strong. <laughs> you know what's even better is when, uh, when you call them out. That's my favorite part. Uh, the, so... If you don't own an Apple product, uh, your life is is you, you're probably less proud of your electronics, but like in a in a non terrible way, like um, it's just probably something that you own and you don't care about, like because you have better things to do in your life. <laughs> um, Nowadays with Apple, you're basically paying for the logo because the guts are pretty much Intel guts. That uh, it, not on a I would I would disagree with you on a mobile, but anyway, let's get let's get right. to, let me set up the story. Yeah. Um, uh, if, uh, starting in 2015, Apple kind of redesigned a lot of their laptops. Uh, they were even thinner, uh, even lighter, the, something that they're always uh, fetishizing, uh, certainly under the leadership of Johnny Ive. Uh, the 2015 <laughs> uh, MacBook uh, featured something new called a butterfly keyboard. It was very flat, had very uh, wide, very flat uh, keys, not a lot of travel to them. As a mechanical keyboard fan, wasn't the biggest fan in the world, but whatever. You like the clack? Is I, that I your love thing? a clack. I, I love. I I would prefer it if it didn't type <laughs> anything, but it was just a hammer with like hitting a spring. Um, but there was from the start uh, kind of some some quality control plans. People saying that these failed more often than than typical keyboards that weren't as nice to type on. Yada yada yada. So uh, Apple, of course, then decided to roll those out to all of their laptops. The complaints <laughs> still occurred. There were all sorts of failures. Uh, and so they said, okay, we're going to redesign. We're going we're gonna to keep the switch, but we're going to redesign it. We're going to put a little gasket around it because supposedly the problem was that there was dust getting in it. So they put a little rubber gasket around it. Uh, those also failed. Mm -hmm. So then they, uh, this year, or last year, I'm sorry, uh, with uh, the 2018 kind of MacBook Air refresh, uh, came out with a third generation, which they used a new material, Brant, a new material. They wouldn't say what it was, which makes me think they didn't change anything. <laughs> but it's a new material that supposedly cured it and simultaneously started an official service program where they would repair your keyboard, no questions asked, because they failed so much. <laughs> now, uh, Ming-Chi Kuo, who is kind of the Apple whisperer analyst, basically anytime she reports a rumor, it ends up being true. Uh, most of the time. She, you know, any, any rumor is still a rumor. Uh, we're still waiting on the 16-inch MacBook Pro. Uh, but the, her new rumor is that they're going to be moving away from this butterfly mechanism and adopting a more traditional scissor switch, which you find on a lot of laptops and that kind of stuff. And was as what uh, a variant of that is what they were using prior to 2015 in all of their laptops, seemingly to resolve this issue. So, Brant, I will tell you my conspiracy theory about this. <laughs> and that this announcement, or this the, the leak of this rumor, this rumor comes out. And I have to imagine all of these rumors are planned out by Apple because they don't do press releases, but they have a rumor mill that they can feed. Uh, that this came out... Very close to the right after the announcement that Johnny Ive has left or is officially leaving Apple. What better way to give an easy win for the new design team, which by all accounts has been in charge of Apple for the last like two years. Like Johnny Ive hasn't done anything other than design the campus, which is a huge project. I'm not saying that's not nothing, but he hasn't done any product design for a couple right. of years now. What, but what better way to give them an easy win than the first time that they're on stage without Johnny Ive to come out and say, 
We fixed the keyboard. It's no longer garbage. Yay. <laughs> also, it's still thin. Right. Except not as thin. Uh, I mean, we'll, because, we this, because the scissors, if they're doing scissor switches, they don't have a choice. But if they roll it out with a, uh, my theory is that they're going to roll out the MacBook Air with a OLED display, which can be even thinner because it doesn't need as much of a backlight. So theoretically, so they, they make the base of the laptop a little thicker to accommodate the thicker switch. You have a thinner LCD, overall thinner package. That's my theory. I mean, why don't they just, why don't they just put a software keyboard on there? <laughs> no, seriously, they've already done that with an, with an iPhone. Because then you they know. will have to put a touchscreen into a Mac, which is against their DNA, uh, uh, tooth and nail. I just, my, I mean, now the keyboard's a pretty important input device when it comes to computing. It's like top two for me. Right. I mean, writing words, language is kind of like the entire basis of civilization. So you might want to get that right. Yeah. Um, and I will say, usually, what, what I think in, you know, Apple's laptop designs up until this keyboard is that was like one of the things like you could criticize them. Their machines are overpriced. They're overdesigned. You're paying for the style, all perfectly legit complaints, but they also kind of got that those peripheral experiences are more important than having a slightly faster processor in your machine or slightly more Ram. Like if the, the, so they, it seemed like, like their trackpads. Again, I I just bought a new uh, ThinkPad. The trackpad on my MacBook is like leagues better. It's not say that one's bad. They, but they got that. They got like putting a quality display is like an easy way to make the experience feel better, yeah, even if it's not. So I told you off the air before we started that I kind of cut my teeth doing the old Macs in, yeah. the, in the mid-90s. And I feel like they went the wrong direction because one of the things they were really good at were like uh, applications like Adobe Photoshop, which was on a Mac 8 million times better at the time than working on a, on a PC. Mm-hmm. And they kind of took their eye off the ball for the actual applications of a computer as opposed to, well, what does it look like? You know, I, I think you're going to have a certain mindset if it has to be super thin or super this or super that. Again, if the criticism is they're overstyled, the kind of person that is buying it doesn't care about that criticism. They mm-hmm. love that part of it. Yeah. You know, that look, it's so much different. And, but the form factor is pretty much the same. You know, your your ThinkPad, your your HP, they're close, and they try to do the same thing. Um, you know, I, so I think you know. Here's the problem: you have a certain amount of karma as a company when you're trying to build these things, and by screwing up the keyboard. And I I watched that video from the Wall Street Journal because mm-hmm. uh, you gave me a link, and I linked to that. And I watched that video and I thought, man, who thought this was a good idea? And a, and also, why was it not tested properly? Again, that, quality issues yeah. are, are the, the thing here. Now, I work in software quality, but hardware quality is also important. And I, I wasn't buying the dust thing, although uh, what I do love about – I was thinking about this. What I love about Apple is they – produce these products that make you think that human beings are these very subtle, uh, <laughs> you know, uh, elegant mm-hmm. uh, beings. And man, we are as ham-fisted as apes. We're just and if, chimps, yeah. And if, if one of the things is crumbs got under there, well, that's because I'm eating a pizza over my laptop. And I know we do this because my keyboard at work is atrocious, the one that's hooked into my dock. Oh, yeah. I mean, because I eat lunch at my desk. Well, I mean, I've got 10 years of lunch in that keyboard, and I just want to be like, can I get a new keyboard? Because pulling the keys off to fix, to clean it is no good. So this idea that we are somehow these elegant beings that we're about to 
evolve to the next <laughs> level. We're going to be the energy beings that Kirk, Kirk finds, you know, yeah. in space. It's not true. I, it's, so the keyboard's really important. That's a, you know. So uh, what you're saying is they need a team of schlubs to test out all of their, I mean, it's, it's kind of the, uh, you Slob know, when, testers when, needed. when the antenna gate thing came out, you know, kind of the joke was you're holding it wrong, you know, yeah. and, it's, and it's a, you know, you're completing the circuit or whatever that yeah. was, that was yeah. the excuse. You're attenuating the I, signal. I, I just, I, again, sometimes if, if there's been something for ages and ages, mm -hmm. there's a reason why it exists in the way that it does. And if it's not broke, you shouldn't fix it. And so in this particular case, what was working was working. Was it worth the extra quarter centimeter to make it, oh, look, it's so much thinner? Obviously not, because either it wasn't registering its entries or it was doubling down on them, where the woman says, well, one of the things that you can do to fix it is you draw download this software that this guy came up with, and it figures out that, <laughs> you know, it's like, okay, so what if I write the word keep? I actually want that E to happen twice. Mm -hmm. How does it know the difference between me doubling it and you know what I'm saying? It just works. I guess it so. But works. but the the fact of the matter is, I mean that's that's the problem. So I think that some of their innovations are really really cool. But I mean, dude, you don't mess with the keyboard. Don't mess with the keyboard. Words of wisdom. Also, uh, I hate the touch bar on the top of the Mac. I use one for work, and it's the worst. Uh, <laughs> moving on. Speaking of other things that are garbage. Um, Brent, uh, are you are you familiar with the service Movie Pass? Yes, I am. Okay, uh, <laughs> my friend Dave is a filmmaker, and ah. he and he sees many films. Yes, uh, he made a movie called Inhuman Witch. You can actually get it via Hoopla if you're from the public library. Oh, you my. should check it out. It's about a, a guy who turns into a giant monstrous sandwich and eats people. I'm on board. Wait, I mean, <laughs> and no spoilers, but it's involved rye bread. Uh, no, the guy's name is Chompy Lou, though, and he turns into a giant Sloppy Joe. Um, anyway, uh, wait, are we, wait, do we have to talk about Sloppy Joe's a sandwich now? No, <laughs> no, we oh, don't. God. No, we don't. But basically, he sees a lot of movies. So Movie Pass was the thing for him mm -hmm. that uh, it, it was built for someone like him. Yeah. The problem is the way that thing is built <laughs> for someone like him it's going to lose money hand over fist. Well, so, yeah. So some background. Uh, a couple of years ago, I want to say maybe around 2016, MoviePass, which had been around for years uh, up until that point, announced kind of new pricing models where for basically $10 a month, you could watch unlimited movies in a theater, no limits on first run, anything like that. And the idea being they were under new ownership and they were kind of moving away from being more of an analytics play where they were... They were making money off subscribers, but also selling analytics of who was going to what theater, what demographics they were going to, what they were buying at the theater, that kind of stuff, where they would go afterwards. Instead, moving from that on, into uh, we're just going to get a massive amount of subscribers and then through scale, you know, step one, get a ton of subscribers. Step two, blank. Step three, profit was was their model. And it turned out that not as many people forgot that they had a MoviePass subscription. I think they were counting on the AOL dial-up internet thing where everyone just forgot they were still subscribed to it. And just kept using it, and AOL just kept making money off that, which they still make like $75 million a year off that. Anyway, so the idea being – so they immediately ran into problems where too many people were buying it. They were losing money far too quickly for it to be profitable, and they've had to kind of re-spin the service a couple times now. Has that been your friend's experience? Yeah, I mean – well, he was really upset about it, yeah. honestly, because he's the kind of well, – and the other problem, too, is I think here was the thing they didn't think of was that – 
the theaters themselves had services. And once mm-hmm. they saw the things that MoviePass could do, they actually had the infrastructure to start doing things like that and cutting MoviePass out of the yeah. out of the equation. AMC was the perfect example because they had this stub service that you could and if you are a stubs member, you get all sorts of of perks and everything through through AMC. Um it's not as 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 much as MoviePass will let you have, but the fact of the matter was they basically said, well, well here's what we'll give you through our service. And we're not, because remember, at one point, they wouldn't even accept MoviePass's money. Yeah, they were getting locked so, into theaters, and then MoviePass kind of reformulated where they said, okay, well, you can't go see certain, we're going to lock out certain movies that are first run that you, you can't use our service on. You can't use it for IMAX, you can't use it for 3D, that, those kind of stuff. And they've kind of vacillated back and forth between wide open, massively restricted. Now, the latest update is on July 4th, Happy Independence Day, they announced that they were <laughs> shutting down services for a couple weeks while they redid their app, their quote app. They're never coming back online. Yeah, like, I, I have uh, never... That is, that is as dead as dead can be. I the I'll give you the perfect example. I'm looking at the Hessler Street Fair 50th anniversary poster, and they announced they were going on hiatus. Mm-hmm. But if you're aware of, of the tea leaves around here, the likelihood of them actually coming back is slim to none because the amount of people that were involved has dwindled to the point where it's not worth their hassle anymore. Mm-hmm. Movie Pass, if you're going to shut down because you can't you can't run the service and develop an app at the same time, that just stinks. Or if you're, if you're so me. short on money that it's like, well, we can either pay for the movie tickets or we can pay our developers. Right. I like, mean, the, to me. I can't think, though, of a service or a company that has burned through goodwill. Because when it first came out, I was like, this is the greatest thing ever. Mm-hmm. I can go see all the movies I want. Right. All, the, all the you know people that love to go see a movie every weekend. Oh, this makes perfect sense. Well, another issue, too, is the movie-going experience can sometimes be uh, testy. Sure. You know? I mean, uh, hilariously, I learned after watching uh, Avengers Affinity War that the Browns had selected Baker Mayfield from a guy who was very angry by what he had seen in Infinity War. <laughs> Uh, and this was after uh, after a half an hour, they shut us down and said, oh, we've been showing you the wrong version of the movie because we were in a 3D theater. And they were showing us the 2D. And, and this guy was very angry that a certain hero bought it. And I'm going to you can probably guess which hero. And then and then screamed. And the Browns drafted Baker Mayfield because you remember at the time, I know you're a big Browns fan. Everybody hated that that yeah. pick. So um, I was early on board with it. I was after I read an article about how bad Josh Allen was. But anyway, <laughs> uh, so, you know, the movie going experience can sometimes be not fun. And I think a lot of people are more interested in services that, you know, bring it to your home. Movie Pass said, OK, we'll make it worth your while by giving you all that you all you can eat at the buffet. And then they shut down the buffet. Well, Brant, unfortunately, we're just about out of time here. But where can people listen to you on WRUW if they are so inclined? So tomorrow night at 9, I do a show called Who Put the Bomp? It's 50 and 60 songs, no genre. I basically play almost every genre. Um, It's an hour long. And then uh, on Sundays, the the flagship is the Cream Broccoli Radio Hour. Um, I will be doing a live version of it at the Winchester Tavern on July 3rd. 23rd. I actually haven't even announced this on my show yet. Ooh, but exclusive. Right. But basically, we'll be doing an all vinyl version uh, locally. It's not going to be broadcast on the air, but if you want to see me out and DJing, I'll be at the Winchester on July 23rd. Totally Excellent. free. Uh, we'll be back uh, next Monday, 1 to 2 p.m. Eastern Time for your weekly tech news hour until the next time we meet. Remember, everybody, have a super sparkly day.